You've reached Hoop and Holler, a Square One podcast. I had to go to CBA school, salary cap school, and tampering school. Can't say, hey, I want you to come to the Lakers, even though I'm going to be wink- winking like. <laughs> On basketball and other shenanigans. I mean, good for you. I mean, you probably won't get hired by, you know, ESPN anytime soon. Because <laughs> you don't have that clutch connection. I have a job to do. With Reagan Griffin Jr. Reagan, you're the best, I say, man. Hey, I say, hey, yo, Jermichael, he turns around. I'm like, you know Lakers coming for that ass this year, right? Uh-huh. Eddie Sun. Some voters just like to be contrarian, you know, whether it's for clicks, whether it's for just because they like to be contrarian. Yes, you do. That's true. I feel like Eddie going to be the type to be like, MVP? James Harden. We're not against rap. We're not against rappers. But we are against those analytics. The analytics. And Julio Martinez. Braun just frustrates me sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like, okay. You've been hyping up this game. Obviously, it's a big game. He he looks juiced for it. Bro, just score the ball. Everybody just thinks I'm a hater. That is blasphemous. And, and, and you know what's that reminiscent of? That was, you know, MVP Steph season. Oh, right? here we go. He was getting here we go. Game. All right, y'all. It's been a he great episode. Fourth quarter. But at, when it boils down, like, that's what we're here for is the yeah. basketball ball. Welcome back to Hoop and Holler. I'm your host, Eddie Sun, joined, uh, as always, by Julio Martinez and Reagan Griffin. And um, on this episode, um, we'll talk about the Boston-Miami series, as well as the results from the MVP voting and All-NBA teams. But first, let's talk about Game 1 of the Lakers-Nuggets series, which ended in a Lakers beatdown of Denver. Um, let's, get you, uh, let's get you guys' thoughts first. Mm. It, it was a it was a complete beatdown, and it's what I love to see. The Lakers are, you know, the best version of themselves when AD is the best player, at, at least scoring wise, and you know, aesthetically and visually. Uh, Le- LeBron might be doing a lot of you know the the you know setting up the offense, getting people involved, and you know that's all important and might be more important, but you know. To the casual fan, AD is when AD is the best player, the Lakers are at their best, and that means he's attacking from the jump. And what does that mean, especially in this series? Jokic is not a very good defender, so whether it's through AD or through you know someone else, if you get him in foul trouble, mm. I mean the the Nuggets are you know <laughs> I don't want to say they're done because they're never done, obviously, but you know they they can get in serious serious trouble. He's not a very good defender. He can get in foul trouble easily. So when AD's attacking, that's when he he's at his best. Not when he's starting off the game shooting, you know, mid-range jumpers and threes. You have to start on the inside, and he's a very good, if not elite, uh, uh, free throw shooter. So that's where he should get his earliest points. Fill the game out and just start attacking, attacking, attacking. Mm. I, I love the way the Lakers play tonight, except at the end. I, I know it's a blowout, but it still kind of frustrates me when you guys are just, you know, playing all lazy. But um, other than that, uh, they they really outperformed the Nuggets today. Julio, the perfectionist over here. We're up by 25 with three minutes to go. He's like, why are y'all not rotating defensively? I love oh, that, bro. Kuzma was frustrating me, bro. Mm. Got you out there. At least get your points total up. Like, bro <laughs> was just walking around. Like, I, I don't know. I want to give a shout out to Rondo again. And, you know, this is coming from a guy that wasn't quite sure whether or not Rondo was going to be equipped to handle a playoff environment, right? But... 
evidently playoff Rondo was still in effect. And the dude had, you know, obviously the shooting wasn't, it was all right. A one for one from three, three for seven from the field, seven points. But the nine assists, man, again, I said this in a previous episode. I'll say it again. This is huge. The fact that they can make stuff happen with LeBron's not on the court. That That's that's vitally important to this team's success throughout the, the rest of, of their, their season, right? Because what we've seen in the past is when LeBron's on the court, the offense essentially throws entirely through AD, right? You said that the bet we're at our best when the when AD is the best offensive player. I agree with you, but it the offense still has to flow yeah. through LeBron to get to AD, right? We don't have that person when LeBron's on the court. At least we didn't for the entirety of the season, right? Now we have that guy in Rondo, and he's doing an exceptional job. He had a couple of passes that were like over-the-head bounce passes that were incredible, man. The dude, he still has got the passing chops with him, man, and he, he's, he's showing them in full effect. What I wanted to say about this series is that going into it, you know, I, I kind of, you know, guess that they're going to play JaVale and Dwight Moore and whoever's playing better is, is obviously going to get, you know, the bulk of those minutes. Um, just because, you know, the Nuggets are more of a, you know, they're a slower team than uh, the Rockets. They're a bigger team than the Rockets. So I know a lot those guys would, especially how good they are defensively, I knew those guys would get more run. And that means more of a half-court offense. That means it works more, you know, to the favor of guys like Ronda who can play better in the half-court. Mm. Um, maybe not necessarily shooting, but running offenses, running pick and rolls. And, you know, that that's why he did well tonight. Mm-hmm. Um, Dwight Howard, you mentioned between McGee and Howard, uh, one will get more minutes, but Dwight Howard looked pretty good in this game, and I wasn't sure whether that was because the Nuggets were kind of lazy and not game planning well, or whether Howard actually presents a good matchup for the Lakers. Um, especially frustrating Jokic getting him in foul trouble, um, and then essentially they had to play Mason Plumley on the floor, which um, obviously that's a big downgrade from Jokic. But I think in general for the Nuggets, because we saw this in the Clippers series, right, where the Clippers beat them by, what, 30 in in their series in Game 1, it feels like the, it takes the Nuggets a while to really adapt to the game plan because there were times where it seemed like um, they were, you know, playing too aggressive on non-shooters and not playing aggressive enough on shooters. It seemed like they were just letting the Lakers get whatever they want on offense. And uh, part of it was that the Nuggets' defense might not be that great, but also at the same time, um, it, it seemed like there was like a lack of concentration and, and a lack of like discipline, um, but, not sticking I to mean, the game plan. Also, on top of that, like te- you can't or fans can't expect teams to, uh, even when series are high, fans can't accept teams to like you know continue on a high. Whenever there's a high, you know teams have to come down a little bit. So, you know they just came out of a seven game series, obviously one that you know. They celebrated like they just won the championship in the locker room. And, you know, it's credit to them. I, I'm not saying anything about that. But, um, you know, they just came back from 3-1 in both series. So they're tired. They're tired. So I, I don't really, you know, you know, judge them too hard on their lack of concentration or them coming down. I, they'll definitely perform better, you know, next year. Mm. Yeah, um, I, I guess my biggest thing with Denver is that it feels like they weren't really playing with intention um, outside a yeah. few spots early in the game. Like, not exactly sure what they're doing. Um, like, Murray was really having a good game, and they really need him to do well to kind of break down the Lakers' defense, especially when you have him attacking JaVale or have him attacking Dwight or even AD um, in pick and rolls. Um, but it's, they didn't go to that enough, and, and it felt like they didn't realize how successful of a play that was for them. Um, that being said, it'll be interesting what adjustments happen in Game 2. Denver um, in both series, or at least in the series against the Clippers, responded in Game 2 pretty well. 
Um, wondering if the Lakers will kind of let up off the gas a little bit or, or whether they're going to keep applying the pressure. Um, but but let's move on to the Boston-Miami series. And um, Julio, you've done it again, predicting Miami to beat the odds and to mystify, you know, like mystify. Did I, was I not the one who stood here at 10 toes on the heat? That was Reagan. Reagan said that. That wasn't uh, Julio. All credit to you, because you, you. I mean, you, you've been saying it from the jump that the Heat have a better shot. But you know, maybe my memory fails me. But I'm trying to think. We made our predictions. It was Celtics and seven for Julio. Celtics and seven for you. And I said the the Heat. Well, it's not. It's not even that. I mean, you like we have the text receipts where Julio. Oh, at halftime, true, 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 true. Where yeah. Julio at halftime when Miami was down by 17 said that he smelled a comeback. Mm. And I'm not sure why you said that. Like, nothing gave me confidence in it. But um, I guess I'll throw the question to you. Like, what, what made you see this Miami team coming back and winning that game? Well, okay. So, they obviously came back in game one. Uh, that's, you know, evidence number one. Evidence number two, I it was something in my gut, man. When uh, I forgot who made the last field goal for the Boston Celtics in the at the end of the first half. But Jimmy Butler had a look in his eye like he was, I'm, I'm going to say a curse word, like he was fucking pissed. <laughs> Him and Dre Crowder looked like, and this is just in my gut, it's nothing, you know, I don't know. It, it, it looked like they went into halftime and they just said, you know, I'm going to curse my teammates out in a good way because Miami has a system in which they can check each other. Jimmy Butler says when when uh, Duncan Robinson does something wrong, I'm gonna cuss him out. And when I do something wrong, he can cuss me out. So there's no, you know, hierarchy. There's no like you can't say anything to me. I can't say anything to you. So that's why I, I like I know when uh, in that team there's good leadership, good foundation, good togetherness and brotherhood. That when somebody you know comes at someone in the locker room, unlike the Celtics, and we'll get to that, uh, that it's gonna be taken well and not be taken the wrong way. And that's what I saw in Jimmy Butler's eyes. And, you know, just, it's just Miami. That That's what they are. They will not go away. And if you think they're going to go away, you're surely mistaken. And more on why they won the game, a lot of people are putting it on, on Boston uh, offensive game and how they're going too much one-on-one. It's it, They're not going one-on-one too much by their choice. They're going one-on-one too much because they're not tough enough. And what does that mean? So when you're watching film, especially, you know, in a seven-game series and you're in the film room breaking down, you know, this is what this team does. Uh, usually this is the first play running out of the half, blah, 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 blah. Um, it's, it, it becomes easy sometimes to blow up, you know, plays, especially when you know they're coming. And that's what Miami does. Like not only do they know the play that's coming, they're well-coached and well-prepared, but they are tough. They will fight over screens. They will push you out off of the three-point line. They will, you know, again, they just blow up screens and disrupt everything. So for, for Boston, that, that's what I mean when I say the word soft. It's not soft like, oh, I'm crying to the ref. I'm saying soft. They're not being, you know, specific to their game plan, to their plays. They're letting Miami push them off of the perimeter, and that's what's forcing them to go one-on-one and off, you know, off the game plan per se and I, I just smelled it or I just sensed it and, and you know seeing Jimmy Butler it, it's just he's one of those players man he won't go away he will not go away 
you're saying that they have a system where Jimmy can curse out Duncan and Duncan can curse out Jimmy. Yes, I want to. I want to see Duncan curse out Jimmy because I, I mean, don't believe it. I, no, but, I, I, mean, I think hundred percent. I mean, he they they've all spoken to that, right? If you go watch interviews that they do with like Slam or whatever, that that's how that that team operates. Now, how much, how often are you needing to curse out Jimmy? Jimmy's not messing up a whole lot, right? Like Jimmy generally gets the job done. He didn't on this particular night, but um, the team holistically ended up getting the job done. So. I 100% have faith in the fact that that's how the team operates. Uh, I do want to point out, because in game one, they were doubling Kemba Walker, similarly to the, the Raptors, right? They were clamping him up on the on the pick and rolls, not letting him get a whole lot. This game, they really didn't do that as much. And I'm wondering, because I'm looking at the set the stats, it feels almost like they made a decision to say, okay, we're going to let Kemba Walker have it as opposed to giving Marcus Smart those open threes because he's banging them right now. So And he was two for six from three, Marcus Smart was. Um, I'm wondering if you saw that that uh, that switch up, Julio, because it didn't what seem like I, they were on Mark or Kevin. What I saw that disrupted Boston a lot is, you know, going in deeper into my analysis, what I just said, they ran a zone, but not a typical zone. They, they ran a zone that was kind of more spread out because they know Boston's not like a – you know, give it to Joel Embiid on the block and, you know, go post up and stuff. So they, they ran a 2-3, a zone, but the, you know, typically in a zone you have, you know, your point guard and your shooting guard, your two smallest guys up top. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had Jimmy and Jay Crowder or Iggy and uh, Derrick Jones Jr., long guys up top that can disrupt passing length. And, and that especially works with guys, you know, like Kemba. As great as Kemba is, I recognize his skill. I love how he plays, but he's tiny. He's like 5'10". So he, he can get very disrupted by that. And teams in the NBA, they don't see see a lot of zone. And when a team like – typically in the NBA, zones don't work well at all. But it works well with Miami because, again, they will not you know let themselves be screened. They fight over everything. And, yeah, I mean, I, I kind of saw that too to, to what you said, Reagan, but – that's what really disrupted uh, uh, Boston. And, I mean, Eric Spolstra, what, I mean, he's doing a fantastic job. He, he's he's fan, he's so fantastic. He, he's amazing. Your point of the zone, um, that's a really good point because um, Toronto was having the most success against Boston on defense by going to their 2-3 zone, but at the same time, they were putting Lowry and Van Vliet um, at the top, and those are two people that are, you know, wingspan-wise kind of challenged. But um, I saw this observation on Twitter that uh, Miami went and put Jimmy Butler and Derrick Jones on the tops, especially when they went to the zone. They they put Derrick Jones in the game, and they both have very long arms and disrupted what Boston does on offense and forced them into one-on-one possessions. But, I mean, I do want to point out that I think Jimmy Butler still really fascinates me because for a player who's really the alpha on the team and, like, the number one option— he almost rarely takes the most shots. Like in this game, he took the least shots out of anyone in the starting lineup. Um, less than Jay Crowder, less than Bam, and and, that, that, and that's that, just. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Finish I mean, I, I guess if nothing else, it's just like it's totally rethinking what like a lead person on a team does for me because like we've always, seen it before. It always pissed me off the way people framed Jimmy Butler. Because oh. it's never been the case to where he's a selfish guy. He oh. wants to win basketball games. That was the case in Chicago. That was the case in Minnesota. That was the case in Philadelphia. It's the case right now in Miami. He's always been a dude who's put winning first and foremost. And he does not care 
how he does it. When he went from Philadelphia to Miami, a lot of people questioned him. Well, if you care about winning so much, why would you leave a team like Philadelphia and go to a team like Miami? Obviously, he saw something because this team has a winning culture. Philadelphia, clearly, we can look at it now in hindsight, did not have a level of winning culture. That's why he left, man. Jimmy Butler's never been a selfish dude. He's never been a locker room cancer like people like to frame him. He just wants to surround himself with winners. That's always been the case with Jimmy that's Butler. So, that's, so, that's so premature. Like, Every time he would leave a team, locker room cancer, just like you mentioned, I would get so frustrated. And I, I just, I, I remember when he was traded from the T-Wolves and, you know, oh, Cat, Cat was being so sensitive, man. And I, I think maybe that's why, like, especially with Cat and Embiid, they frustrate me a lot because, I mean, to me, they're just the opposite of Jimmy and, and their personalities. And, um, I, I just appreciate Jimmy Butler so much. And although I'm a Lakers fan, obviously, you know, I want them to win a championship. But, like, you can take this down. I would not be upset if Miami got the championship. Like, they they work harder than any other team in the NBA. And, and you know, it's just it's just so commendable. So commendable. No, no, for sure. Like, they're definitely very fun to watch. But, um, again, Boston went up 2-0 on Toronto in their previous series. I still think this is one that goes the distance. Um, again, all of these teams in the East are so well matched up, and I don't think that this locker room issue, like stuff being thrown around in the locker room, like Marcus Smart cursing everyone out, like I don't really put too much credence into it. Like players usually get over these things, like and especially in the playoffs. Like I, I mean, I, I think Boston is good enough where they'll get over it for the most part. Um, I, I, I tend to agree with you, but here's the thing: who's Who's really the leader on that team? Like I feel like the they have a, a, a Warriors dynamic where, you know, they have a best player in Jason Tatum and then an emotional leader, and it's an emotional leader, and that's Marcus Smart. But, and, and yeah, that, that's where I was going. And I, I think he's just good enough, and, and, like, he is a really good player, and, mm-hmm. you know, any, any team would love to have him. But he's, like, just good enough where you know it's okay for him to lash out but i feel like he he told he he toes with that fence because like if i'll give you another player that he reminds me of but he's better than obviously patrick beverly if bro just starts screaming in the locker room no one no one's gonna pay attention to him i I feel like folks pay pay attention to marcus smart but i just you know when when players do that they just get undermined by their own you know talent and skill and it's like I don't really know if, like, you know, if if I'm messing with you, like, throwing stuff, if you're the one throwing stuff. And, and, I mean, look look at yourself in the mirror first. Bro had, like, two costly turnovers at the mm. end. Like, if you're getting upset at yourself, okay, okay. And maybe your team needs, you know, you know that rile up uh, uh, that you gave your team in the locker room. But still, I, I, something doesn't sit right with me. With this situation, here's here's my thing, Julio. Because you 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 played basketball, I played football, Eddie. I'm sure you've been on teams that needed to have a, some level of success. When things don't go well, that's how things go. Like people yell at each other, people have disputes. I don't understand why people always want to put so much credence in the fact that there was a, a, a argument or a dispute in the locker room. Of course, there's going to be an argument and dispute, right? And um, I honestly would prefer that than the latter. 
Because the latter is what we saw with the Clippers, right? Where there was no argument. And it's always, we're good, we're fine, we're going to be okay. And then you ended up fizzling out. I appreciate the fact that there's passion there. But I do want to bring this up about the Clippers, or not the Clippers, the Celtics. It's interesting to me because you have like four dudes that really could be the leader of that team. When we think about Marcus Smart, he's obviously the most passionate guy on that team, right? Far and away. You think about Jason Tatum, he's the best player on that team. We think about Kemba Walker, he's the veteran of that team. And we think about Jalen Brown, that's the guy who's kind of been leading the forefront in terms of the social justice. So they have multiple leaders on that team. I wonder if that leads to clashing more often than we might suspect. Because this is the first we're hearing of it, but you obviously have a lot more alphas than are usually on a basketball team on the Boston Celtics. I wouldn't be surprised if they had more clashes like this throughout the season. And, and that's not a team that's unknown to like locker room issues, especially last year they had to deal with, or what at least was reported as, you know, Kyrie messing up the, you know, locker room dynamics. But again, a lot of it was also on the young players being frustrated with him. But um, I mean, you can also look to the young players and, and, and say that maybe they wanted their shine a little bit too early. So... I don't think it's a, it's a new kind of, um, it, it's not a new issue for them, but I, it's also not a big deal. It feels like we all feel the same. That yeah. every I, time... I also think that where Marcus Smart might have been coming from is, again, what I touched on is, you know, that, that like Miami letting them push push Boston around. And I don't know if you guys saw, but Bam Adebayo looked like, <laughs> Kendrick Perkins said this, it was funny. He looked like Bam, uh, Bam O'Neal. Bro was just dunking everything. I thought you were about and to say like, Bam looks like Kendrick Perkins. Like Boston Perkins. was like, you, you guys get lauded, and, and respectively so, as a great defensive squad, especially on the perimeter. But what are you guys, what are you guys going to do about, you know, Bam and Jimmy? Like, come on, let, let's get it going. You guys have more offensive weapons. You know someone had the audacity on Twitter to call the Bam out of bio Daniel Tice matchup a wash? Like, it's even... Like it's like Daniel Tice and Bam Adebayo. They said that center matchup is a wash. I don't know. I gotta go get the receipts, but I saw that on Twitter. Like, oh, that's a wash. Daniel Tice is the most underrated player in the NBA. I want to say it was somebody from the Athletic, but don't hold me to that. No, it's not a wash. And you know, here's the other thing I thought about. Uh, uh, (laughs) It's so hilarious. Bam Adebayo or or Joel Embiid. And I know we we've touched on this. And, you know, before the season, even midway, even now, I feel like people would choose Joel Embiid. It's four in a way, Bam Adebayo for me. Mm. Bro plays hard. He's there every day. And he can switch one through five. Like, And I know Joel Embiid can do that sometimes. But he's just not, you know, I don't, it's, it's these guys that really just get me so frustrated. And I, I don't know, the guys who grow up in that Miami system and culture, I mean, I just have so much respect for them. And this is the other thing. Goran Dragic as, you know, and Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson as guys, you know, who may not be known for their defense, they still play their asses off. They Mm -hmm. play hard. They play hard. I mean, that's 60% of defense is effort, in my mind. If if you're trying, you're not going to be a bad defender. And, and yeah, and that's my thing. Like, uh, uh, Kemba Walker or I I don't even know who, who gets minutes on, like, Rondo or, you know, there's a lot of guys who, you know, might not be great defenders. But it's also that they don't try 100%. And I know that's a cliche, but you see Goran Dragic, I mean, with Jimmy Butler and Derrick Jones Jr. and Iggy up top, he he had to be on the block down low, you know, playing at the bottom of the zone. But bro plays so hard. Him and Tyler Hero both fight over screens. And that's why I respect Miami so much, because they make up for their, you know, lack of talent, quote-unquote, 
by you know hustle and effort. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like you you see that with um, Miami that, and I and I said this that I thought if you have Duncan and Hero on the floor for a long time because you need their contributions on offense, that they would get burned on defense. And um, Boston and I mean any team that's played them is still kind of targeting them like that. But um, that being said, the effort does make up for a lot of it. And but also, you know, that kind of versatility of Bam and the versatility of Jimmy. Like, there's a lot of help side defense coming their way as well. Yes, that really they're helps. They're all on a string. They're all in communication. I mean, I hear Jimmy Butler on my TV screen sometimes. <laughs> That's how loud he is. That's how communicative he is. I mean, it's amazing to watch. It, and, and I've never been a coach, but Miami is a coach's dream, I guarantee you. Julio, you should be a coach, dude. I, I've been thinking about that lately. I feel like you'd be a darn good coach. I get too pissed. You get <laughs> that's why you'd be a great coach. I feel I, I feel like you would be the type of dude, Julio, first day of practice, you're just gonna be like, Alright everyone, let's warm up and send them on like a lap and then tell them stop when you're done. Uh, I'll tell you when you're done. And just send them like for the entire practice just running on conditioning, bro, waiting for people to quit. Just so you can weed out the people who you didn't want in your team anyway. Tell me yeah. if that's not something you would do. I mean, I, I want my team to be tough. When, when I was growing up in the fourth grade, that's when I got my like real introduction to like team and AU basketball. The first drill my, my, our trainer, our coach, whatever, had us do was two lines under the basket. And we played outside in concrete. We never played inside because inside was for, for chumps. Mm. Outside was for tough guys. That's what he would tell us. So he would have two Two lines under, under the rim, you would roll the ball out. Whoever doesn't get the ball, you have to dive on the ball. Whoever doesn't get the ball, runs five laps around the You park. are diving on the ball on concrete? Yeah. And, and you you have to get the ball. If you don't get the ball, you're running. Yeah. That Ooh. sounds like corporal punishment, but also something Pat Riley would do. Um, yeah. Anyways, let, let's move on to the MVP talk because the award was finally announced, or at least reported at least, that um, Giannis won the MVP and I think among the three of us we've talked about this so much during the season and you know during quarantine and during the bubble when it started that I think we're all on the same page right like we know how we feel about Giannis we know his limitations but this is a regular season award this was one of the most dominant regular season campaigns by an individual player um unless there's new developments and new thoughts or new opinions or something I feel like we're on the same page here right yeah no yeah just just give him the MVP, and it's it's kind of like when uh, you know Reagan brought up Kawhi top five, and I said who else, and uh, Reagan said it's a sad day, and he you know he didn't mean that you know that we don't have any good players in the NBA, but um, yeah, I mean I have the same thoughts with Giannis and the MVP. Who else really? You know LeBron has you know the second best argument, I guess, but it's just not close to what Giannis did. Um, so yeah, I mean, by default, he goes to Giannis. He had better stats than what he did last year, and his team had a better record. Just, just give him, just give him the MVP. Just I'm gonna, di- I'm gonna disagree with you, and I agree with you in the fact that it's Giannis. But I feel like what we can't do as basketball analysts is take what we saw in the postseason with Giannis and apply and, and let that you know make us lose focus on how phenomenally great this regular season he had was. It was an all-time great regular season by uh, any NBA player throughout the course of history. I don't think I've ever seen a player single-handedly dominate the regular season like Giannis did this year. Offensively, 
defensively. The dude on both ends of the floor arguably was, I mean, shoot, he won MVP and he won Defensive Player of the Year. You can make an argument that Giannis was the best player on both ends of the floor this year in the regular season. So, like Eddie said, obviously we know the limitations of Giannis Antetokounmpo. That's clear as day now. But let's not make the mistake of misremembering how phenomenal that regular season was. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, I mean, we get two different players. That's just a fact. That's no, you get the same player. That's the thing, because uh, you get uh, you get the same player, but you get seven games with them, so it's a little bit different, right? That that smoke's a little bit different. Higher intensity and whatever, but I mean, there, there's a lot of discourse out there on Twitter talking about this is the same award that they gave to Nash two times and Giannis two times and Kobe and Shaq once. And I mean, honestly, I uh, I don't know. It's just like I don't think that much credence should be put into how they award these things like we know that the playoffs in the regular season is two very different seasons essentially and that doesn't really take away from who wins the MVP and and, and who doesn't because at the end of the day we know who does well in the playoffs and we know who raises their game and um, if some random you know sports head wants to go on TV and try to argue their case for a player by MVPs and uh, MVPs alone, it's just like the same thing people do with like a finals MVP or like defensive all team, all, you know, all NBA teams. Um, you know, like there, there's there's more to it than that. And mm-hmm. I think people are smart enough to know exactly where a player was successful, like where they raise their game and where they can do better. And um, Giannis is one of those players that I think any logical person can say that he is absolutely dominant um, in the regular season because uh, that's the type of player he is. He, he's perfectly built to succeed in the regular season but needs to um, add more layers and dimensions to his game in the playoffs. Like, there's nothing wrong with making that nuanced argument. Uh-oh. I'm looking at a um, Chris Haynes tweet just now. He came out with it two minutes ago. Evidently, LeBron James is pissed that he only got 16 first-place votes. So, And do you even think he's really pissed, though? I don't, like, I don't know. I- I think the Clippers being eliminated helps with that. <laughs> if he had to pick one or the other, I think he's definitely going with the uh, the the former, right? But yeah, yeah, just had to get a shot in against the Clippers. What um, I hope this doesn't do is discount the MVP award because that's what it feels like a lot of people are trying to do right now. When you when you were talking about Eddie, oh, this guy won it, that guy won it. It doesn't really matter. We know what we're all here for. I know that the postseason is the most exciting part of the NBA season, but let's not just throw the regular season to the wayside because we saw what happened when the Clippers did it, and that bled its way into the postseason. So. This stuff still matters. It still matters. But with the MVP, I mean, sometimes it just doesn't make sense, though. How? If I mean, Julio just scoffed at it, bro. He said, "Oh, MVP. LeBron should have won it ten times in a row." I always say this, but and yes, I'm a Kobe homer. How does that man only have one MVP on his name? Because Steve Nash dropped what? I mean, 16 points a game and 10 assists. Led his team to the best seed in the league as, you know, compared to not in the playoffs. I don't know. We can, I mean, we can hash this out all day, but I don't know. That That's for a different episode, I guess. Um, at least okay. let's talk the about... Voters, some voters, like, I, like I, I've seen voters on, on TV sometimes. I'm like, you're a voter? You don't know basketball. That How is are true. you a voter? I do. How are you a voter? There are some voters on Twitter that... You know, I mean, there's one that was 
for some reason wanting to vote Andre Drummond for defensive player of the year. So that, some dudes who wanted to vote Luca defense on the <laughs> defensive teams, bro. Like I definitely out because they put the receipts out for that, right? You yeah. see who voted for what. We need to keep on doing that. We need to put folks on blast when they're doing a terrible job, bro. Because that's that's awful to me. Like some people were genuinely people just don't know how to contextualize, and they'll go with you know whoever's name is popping up in the media the most. Exactly, they'll just... they'll allow narratives to perpetuate these sorts of things. It's uh, not a good look. Not a good look. Something that narratives also perpetuates is the selections of the All NBA teams, which we should talk about. Um, the first team, I think you guys know the names, right? You have Giannis, LeBron, obviously, um, joined by Harden, AD, Luca. Um, I'm not mad at that first team. I don't think anyone can be. The only thing that's interesting is that a lot of people voted AD as their center, even though AD himself doesn't even want to be a center. He's, but... he's, he's the what? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't hear that, man. That He's a power forward. <laughs> Whatever gets him back for the next decade. But uh, the second team, a little bit more interesting. You have Kawhi, Jokic, Dame Lillard, Pascal, and Chris Paul. And those last two names can be a little bit surprising. I don't know how you feel about Chris it. Chris really. Paul, I feel like, is solid. Wait, say, say those names again? Kawhi, Jokic, and Dame. That's pretty, like, good. And then you have Chris Paul and Pascal. Oh, give me Jimmy Butler over Pascal. Well, it doesn't take into account the... The positions, right? I don't think I could have taken Jimmy Butler over Damian Lillard or Chris Paul this year. They were both what phenomenal. Was the, what was the last name? Pascal Siakam. And Chris Paul? Yeah. yeah. Nah, Chris Paul has got to be on there. Uh, uh, yeah, was he, I guess was Okay, was he, was he really a second-team player this year, though? Chris Paul, Chris Paul? could he, – he, I mean, he got votes for MVP, right? Like, that dude was a yeah. phenomenal player this year. Absolutely bro, phenomenal. Yeah, bro, I mean, I think he was really good, but for him to get votes for MVP and for him to make the second team is a little bit – like, like he was really good. Don't get me wrong. I thought he was, like, amazing. But, like, they're essentially putting him on the same tier as Damian Lillard this year. And uh, – What did he do with the lesser roster? I mean, Dame, Dame had less pieces yeah, Dame, around him. I mean, during the regular season, yeah. Um, but who would you put over Chris Paul then? I mean, I would have put Jimmy over him, I think. I mean, you got to remember guards and forwards, though. That's true. I mean, do we even count Jimmy as a guard or forward? No, he, I mean, here's a forward, right? So let's see. I mean, they put, okay, they put Ben Simmons and Westbrook. I mean, we can talk about Westbrook later, but I mean, even Ben Simmons might have. <laughs> I, mean, I, I know Eddie had team. a herniated uh, disc you, after he saw Westbrook on the third team. Ben Simmons over Bradley Beal. Oh, like, okay, even... Um, ben Simmons was a lockdown. I mean, we got to think about... I, I'm cool with Ben Simmons. Russell Westbrook, though, and you know, Russell I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like though. Eddie in the fact where I just have a burning hatred for Russell Westbrook, but Russell Westbrook was nowhere near as effective, even given the teams that they were on and the success of the teams they were on, nowhere near as effective as Bradley Beal was. That's Bro, Bradley Beal's spot Bro, on the third Bro team. Bro did so well, though, like... Westbrook in the regular season before the bubble. I mean, he had were, like a spurt really towards the end of the regular season that we remember because it was like the last thing we saw before COVID. But for a lot of the season, he kind of looked lost out there in that Houston offense. That's fair. I don't know. I, I feel like that's that's Beal's spot. That that third yeah, team. Bradley Beal definitely yeah. needs to be. It on, was on that. so Ben Simmons. Thirty. That that's embarrassing. Ben Simmons and Russ were joined by Jason Tatum, Jimmy Butler, and Gobert. I don't think the other three names seem. Okay, some people say Bam over Gobert, but again, I mean Gobert. Oh, shoot. Gobert was, you know, defensively, it's hard not to reward him. Um, Bam with that just, spot. I love Bam, man. Bam is great. No, I agree with you. 
Um, I guess, I don't know. I feel like Reagan already said everything about Westbrook that I was going to say, except, you know, I probably feel more strongly about yes. it. Uh, ten times strong. Like, I, yeah. Go go off, bro. Go but, off. But again, I mean, this is, this is a narrative-driven award, and um, Russell Westbrook was a player who a lot of people in their minds still think, I think, is... Um, an amazing player, even though I think he, he's definitely a shell of his MVP self, which um, wasn't even that MVP great to begin with. Wow, but, bro. But, wow. I mean, here's my main thing with voting for these awards, is that if you are on an all-NBA team, you qualify for a Supermax, right? Perfect. So there's, like, real yeah. ramifications for this. And yeah. one of the... Uh, the first name off the list was Chris Middleton, and I think Chris Middleton should have made these teams for sure because he had a really, really great regular season. And um, the truth is, like, if a voter put in Trey Young or Bradley Beal or Chris Middleton, um, I don't think, like, I would have been mad at either. But the problem was that the only reason why Chris Middleton didn't make the team was that half of his votes were split among the guard position and forward position. If everyone, really? If everyone just voted for him at guard or voted for him at forward, he would have made the third team. See, I didn't know they did that. They, you make them vote. The voters have to pick which one? Exactly. That's don't, dumb. Why don't they, they don't... categorize it beforehand and then say, okay, this guy is this, and then you vote for him? That's the million-dollar question. I did not question. know that. I did but not know now, that. I mean, Chris Middleton already signed his max extension, but I mean— What was LeBron? What was LeBron? I think every, like everyone voted him, so regardless of guard or forward, it's just that like that's so stupid. Chris like got enough total votes to be put on the team, but not enough forward votes to be uh, on the team over Tatum and Butler, and not enough guard votes to beat Simmons and uh, Russ. What kind of archaic freaking electoral college system <laughs> is that? That doesn't even make sense. Why I mean, would they? They still have they still have centers as a part of like a designation on these teams. I mean. So. He definitely wouldn't have been over Bradley Beal, bro. I mean, I th- I'm looking at the system. Like, uh, Chris Middleton, that, that's obviously a snub, right? That's but, what, like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the, Bradley the system Beal, itself is stupid. Like, Bradley Beal was really great this season. Same with Chris Middleton. I would have picked Chris over Beal just for the defense, um, but, like, I wouldn't have been mad at either. But it's just that Chris should have made the team, and now, you know, if a, a contract opportunity arises, he'd miss out on potentially $40 million well, extra dollars. And that's, that's a lot of money. But, Bucks are happy about that if they want to resign him. So if I'm a versatile player, if I'm versatile enough to identify myself as a guard or a forward, I lessen my chances at making the All-NBA team? Essentially. What? Essentially. What? What are we doing, people? Unless you're you're great enough. I mean, yeah, unless you're LeBron James, but that's, that's, that's incredibly dumb to me. I didn't know that. I want to flip you guys this question. I know I said the last podcast about Kawhi Leonard. But if we didn't attach any narratives to Kawhi Leonard prior to this season, is he second team? Yeah. He was really good this season. That's just... For what? How many games did he miss? I mean, did he played... Did Zion get any votes? Who? Did Zion get any Rookie of the Year votes? He got one Rookie of the Year vote, which stripped my guy, John Morant, of his unanimous Rookie of the Year that he completely deserved. Yeah, he got the one. That was that was incredibly dumb to me as well. Kyle Lowry still got in the All Star game. I don't know, man. I mean, I, Kawhi played like a top. And bro was still nice. You, top you five like player this season like, in the games he was healthy. And that's enough to warrant second team. I think over so. Over Jimmy Butler I mean, and Jason on, Tatum, who weren't just. The, mm-hmm. He's on there with the likes of Pascal. Like, I don't know, man. Okay. Look, look, look as as much as I love Jimmy Butler. 
And obviously, he, I, yeah, I think he's my favorite player left in the bubble. But, yeah, I, I, as much as I love him, let's not pretend like he was doing all of this that he's doing right now in the playoffs, like in the regular season. I mean, he was still hustling. He was still playing hard. But he wasn't, uh, uh, I don't even want to say scoring, but he wasn't doing what he's doing now in the regular season. Like, he wasn't performing the same. He was still, he was still like, a very good player. But right now he's become like a great player. He's elevated his game. So I mean, as, as much as I love Jimmy Butler, thirteen sounds right. Yeah, I mean, let's not like let the narrative shift too far in the other direction. Um, Kawhi was still a great player this season. I agree. Even if he wasn't trying totally on both sides of the floor, he was still great on defense. You know, he was still a great player. Like that—that's a second team player that if he really wanted to try and you know play more games he probably would have made first team easy like that that's just the kind of player he is i don't know man i i I feel like Kawhi leonard enters next season as the player in the nba with the most to prove and the reason for that is because the one time not Giannis. hmm not Giannis. not Giannis. Kawhi leonard because i feel like i mean Giannis, he has his mvps right <laughs> he has yeah, two of them. That, that, he that has defensive player of the year. More embarrassing. Here's my thing with Kawhi Leonard. He has his two championships. He has the Finals MVP. But have we ever seen Kawhi Leonard be phenomenally successful when he was the leader of a basketball team? Like and when I say leader, I mean leader in all facets, not just being the most talented basketball player. He's got to prove he's capable of that. I mean, has KD done that? No. Mm. And I love KD. I mean, KD's just a different type of talent, though. That's the thing. Like, you know, we can get into that conversation, mm. but KD's the most gifted scorer of the basketball we've ever seen, right? But, it, but, but, it, but, if that, but if that's your argument, I mean, Giannis still has to prove that. Yeah, Giannis does. But I think Kawhi has a little bit more to prove, just given that Kawhi has a little bit more clout around the NBA than Giannis does. When we're talking about the top players in the NBA, people generally go LeBron-Kawhi or Kawhi-LeBron. Excluding AD or excluding KD since he was out of the picture this season, right? So from a give, player standpoint, yes. From a media standpoint, no. I mean, the media is going to say what it's going to say, but when we talk about Kawhi Leonard, I feel like there's a rare breed of player who can really dictate things like LeBron James and Kawhi Leonard entered that conversation after his championship with the Raptors, and he follows it up with a semifinal exit. You got to prove something, man. You gotta show me something more than that. That that that's why he's got to be the he has the most to prove in my mind. Because right now I am really sitting back and reflecting on every time I've watched Kawhi Leonard play basketball, and it's like, was it really that special, or were the circumstances just fortunate for him? Wow, another thing I'm influencing influencing Reagan's thought process on. He's, I, I, I got a freaking I got I got a <laughs> goddamn. Uh, Due to my ear all the time, that's just uh, scrambling my brain. If Bradley wants to make an all-NBA team, just come to L.A., bro. Just come to L.A. And you'll it's... for sure just do what you did last year, and you'll for sure. Might even be in the MVP discussion. Who knows? Because you're wearing a Lakers jersey. He is amazing. Get your, money up, get your money right and come to L.A. He is amazing. I think Washington might be low-key nice next year. But, I mean, before we go farther into... You know more discussions about players and whatever uh, let, let, let's wrap the let's let's wrap up the episode here 
Um, this will do it for this episode of Hoop and Holler. As always, hit that follow on Instagram and Twitter at SQR1Hoops if you want our resident fortune teller Julio Martinez to predict the next wild result in an upcoming game. Thanks, you guys, for listening. As always, we'll catch you next time. This has been the Hoop and Holler podcast.